is possible to become free from debt, financial worry, your boss, and your zip code. You can start living a life you love, but first, you need to find your freedom. Using financial independence and lifestyle design principles, you can create the life of your dreams now. There are many paths to freedom, and that is what this podcast is all about. My name is Becky from 20free.co, and I am the host of the Find Your Freedom podcast. Today's interview is with Lauren Keyes, who graduated from the University of Florida debt-free in 2012 after paying her own way with scholarships and waiting tables at Chili's. Shortly thereafter, Lauren and her husband Stephen became interested in personal finance and discovered financial independence. Eight years later, they've retired from full-time work and started their blog, Trip of a Lifestyle, to share their take on how personal finance and travel can go hand-in-hand. Their blog focuses on how you can enjoy the journey to financial independence and what to do once you get there. In this interview, Lauren talks to me about taking a net $0 honeymoon to Hawaii for six months, living the van life to travel to all of the United States national parks, and becoming semi-retired by the age of 29. We discuss how she and her husband saved $100,000 in two years on teachers' salaries, how taking a mini-retirement can actually boost your career and income, and how they created a sustainable lifestyle of part-time work that still earns them enough money to save and invest. Welcome to Find Your Freedom, Lauren. Thanks for having me. Let's start with talking about your background. Tell me a little bit about how your personal experiences have shaped your personality and perspectives on money and life. I grew up, you probably classify us as more kind of lower middle class. I went to a decent school. That's actually where I met my husband um, in high school. Money was always kind of tight growing up. You know, I had seen kind of what happens when you are tight with money and when how wrong kind of lending can go and what kind of spot it can put you in to have to owe money to people. And I just kind of always had it in the back of my mind that for me, my biggest goal is to just like not have to worry about money and not have to worry about meaning like I can pay all my bills. And if I need to buy like a new lipstick for $5, it's not going to like feel bad. So that was kind of my perspective going into college. And the big thing for me was being able to graduate debt-free from college. And I did that by having a few different scholarships and then working as a waitress part-time throughout college. And then probably about halfway through, I started doing freelance work in my field of journalism. And like that switch was kind of scary at first because I was going from what I knew was kind of a guaranteed rate at the restaurant to, you know, this freelance gig kind of thing where I wasn't sure, you know, when the next news event would occur that I could go and photograph or write about. It was a much, much harder to kind of plan around, but I knew that I needed $300 a week to cover my expenses. And so I talked with my boss before fully quitting my waitressing gig. And I was like, listen, this is how much I need. Uh, Is that like, can you guarantee that much work? Is that something that, you know, you could help me with? And so, you know, we kind of talked about it. And so I was able to graduate debt-free because of these like planning moments and, and the fact that even through waitressing and um, my scholarships, I was saving money along the way. So making that transition, I did have a little bit of a safety net, a few thousand dollars or something that made me feel okay if I needed to, you know, pull from that. But luckily I was able to graduate not only debt-free, but with like a little bit of savings. So that's kind of set the stage for 
my lifestyle, not spending a ton of money and being really frugal and being very conscious of my spending and price and things like that. Let's go back to your early financial life. Can you tell me a little bit about that and whether there were any mistakes that you made financially? You know, I think earlier on, like when I first started out in in life, you know, I bought my first car for like $1,200 with tax tag and title and all of that. I think it completely wiped out my $1,400 in savings um, right in senior year of high school. But I wouldn't call that mistake. It really helped set me up for success being able to drive around and get to and from my workplace, that sort of thing. But I guess our our biggest mistake kind of came when we had a little bit of money and we decided to invest that money. We went and saw a financial advisor and got sold into like some kind of bond fund that like is not appropriate for 22 year olds. And it was just like really high fees and like not really the kind of investment that we should have been making. And so our first investment was kind of misguided, I guess you could say, but that wasn't really until after graduation, but it was like shortly after graduation, like within a few months of like working and saving, we were like, let's do something with this money. And what we did probably wasn't the best idea, but we quickly got out of that and put it into just like regular old index funds um, with low fees. And that was probably our, our biggest early mistake, I would say. How did you realize that that fund was not appropriate for you? Did you do your own research when you were learning, you know, from Mr. Money Mustache and learning about the financial independence movement and realize that bonds weren't something that someone in their 20s would really be getting a good long-term return on? Exactly. Yes. My husband got, I I think for some reason, men in general are more prone to thinking about investing. And so he kind of led those kinds of conversations. He started doing more of that research, but in talking about it as a couple who were living together, you know, it was something that had to be our decision. And I actually found Mr. Money Mustache and told him about like, hey, look at this guy doing the things that we're doing. And so I think that kind of led him into a different pattern of research than just the traditional media that's out there about investing. And so I think Stephen probably had more of a role to play in figuring out that first investment and then fixing that mistake. We talked about it, but it was also a while ago. So um, you know, it was something that I probably dealt with less than because I was, I don't know, just focused on like working and paying the bills while he was in grad school. Uh, he was earning a stipend, so he had an income as well. I was going to work every day. He was going to school and had a little more free time to invest in in that kind of thing because he doesn't didn't have class every single day. So that was kind of what that time in our life looked like. By the time he was switching programs, I think we had already switched out of that, which was a, maybe two semesters worth of that program that he was in before we changed into the index funds and started carving our own path. And so you started quite early at, you said, the age of 22, right, with financial independence. And did you have a fully formed plan of, you know, you're going to retire at a certain date with a certain amount of money at that point? Or did you just know that you had to get started with saving and investing? So definitely the first thing that we thought about was, oh, you know, we're starting to make some real money. We should do something with it that's valuable and like, oh, our money could probably work harder than we can. And so that was really the first step was like realizing the power of investing. And then the second step was kind of doing the the math on like the 4% rule. And because we had such low expenses, you know, we were right out of college. Stephen was still in a graduate program. So it was like, we were still living that college lifestyle and that was easy to keep our expenses low. And so because we had low expenses, doing the 4% rule 
turned up a number that we were like, we should work toward this. Like this seems, you know, it's a lot obviously, but like if our spending doesn't increase and we can still save this much, you know, we had a, what felt like a savings rate that was decent that we were encouraged by. And that's actually when we started tracking our net worth and tracking our net worth was also really encouraging because we had no debt. Every dollar we saved and invested, we saw just continue to grow. And so it was actually really encouraging versus some, you know, a lot of folks have to go down the like budgeting path to get their finances in order. And I feel like tracking our net worth meant that we didn't need a budget because we were so excited to see that number grow that we were like protective of every dollar almost in the best kind of way, like not super cheap, but just like, oh, if we save this, like it's worth it to do that. Um, and it gave us more of a reason to be intentional with our, with our spending. And so you know, tracking our net worth really helped with that. But yeah, I mean, the transition from like starting to invest versus going down the path of like, we want to fire, I think happened pretty quickly for us. Like I said, with that bond fiasco, I guess you could say, you know, kind of change our perspective and, and learning more about financial independence in general, you know, kind of changed our perspective as well. You know, we, we were reading Mr. Money Mustache. We read A Simple Path to Wealth. They're just different things that changed our perspective. And at the time, right after college, we moved to California for the program that Stephen was in before moving back to Florida for a different program for Stephen. But in California, you know, we really enjoyed the weather, the beaches. It's, it's kind of weird to say because we're from Florida and so we have beaches here, but it also rains a lot and it's really hot and can be really humid sometimes. And in California, the weather is like, we were in Orange County, so the weather was pretty perfect and we were able to like bike a lot because it didn't rain and just generally kind of enjoy the outdoors. And so we got a taste of like, wow, this is great. We also went on a road trip right after college to Alaska and back and that really showed us too like what all is out there and what could be. Um, and that was kind of our first taste of real freedom. And I think that's kind of what led us into, well, we could kind of do that whenever we wanted if we got to financial independence sooner. Yeah. So I wanted to ask about that trip, actually, because I went on a similar trip that in a Honda Civic as well, we actually built our own teardrop trailer and we hitched it behind a Honda Civic. And you know how small Honda Civics mm -hmm. are. So that was pretty funny. And we drove all the way up to Newfoundland, up the East Coast. And Newfoundland is an island off the coast of northeastern Canada. And that was an 18-day trip, which for us, when we were working full-time jobs, we were like, wow, this is so much time to take off, to take a trip. And you guys took a 45-day road trip from Florida to Alaska, right? Mm -hmm. And was that your first real large travel experience? Was that the first time that you were learning how to do budget travel and seeing if it was something that you would want to continue to incorporate into your life in the future? Yes. Yeah, so in college, you know, we had done a few things like one week we decided it was spring break and we're like, oh, let's take a drive. Where could we go? Let's go to New Orleans. Never been there. And it was, you know, we just had the week of spring break. We drove to New Orleans. It was Mardi Gras somehow that <laughs> incidentally lined up for us. And we're like, this is so cool. And so most of our travel had been done, you know, within a week span because we were in college and like having a full-time job, you only get a week off at a time or maybe like a three-day weekend to do something. So driven to DC. We had flown to DC. We'd flown to New York. We had done these like little shorter trips for a week or so at a time, but that was really right after college. Like literally, I think we, we graduated in the beginning of May. And I think 
let's see, Stephen's graduation was, I think mine was on a Saturday, his was on a Sunday. And then Monday, we literally left town and started driving. We had a Honda Civic. It was loaded to the gills with like all of our stuff because we didn't really know what to expect. We had pots and pans and a burner and like clothes. And we had probably way more clothes than we needed because it was summer and we didn't really know what to expect. But luckily we did have coats because we made it all the way to Prudhoe Bay, Alaska, which is the very top of Alaska and like put our feet well, I don't think I took my shoes off. I put my hands in the Arctic Ocean and it was very, very cold. <laughs> um, and so we made it all that far and back. But that was really our first experience. Probably in those 45 days, we had like a really good friends and family deal on hotels. So it wasn't really that great of a example of budget travel. But out of those 45 days, 16 of them, we spent sleeping in the Honda Civic because we were in Alaska. We were in Western Canada, where it's like not really populated, hotels are expensive and they're like motels if you find one. And so we're like, we'll just sleep in the Civic because there's like all these, they're not really rest stops because it's literally a porta potty and little circular driveway, but you pull in off the side of the road and like rest. And so we would just sleep there and like continue on. And that was, yeah, that was definitely our first taste of like waking up every day, making it what you want, kind of having that self-directed day. That was our first taste of that. We were like, every day we had to drive a certain amount. We switched off driving. Sometimes we would drive 24 hours because by the time we got up to the Yukon, it was like daylight all the time because it was summer. And so we were just driving. I think we drove maybe 20, it might've been like 22 hours was like the longest where we were switching off and made it without like actually sleeping, stopping to sleep. But we definitely like cooked on the side of the road. We had like our ramen noodles with our little burner. And yeah, it definitely was the first taste of like doing what we wanted. And then that was right after college for 45 days, we came back, planned for the next adventure, the next chapter, Stephen's grad school. And so we didn't have to worry so much about like taking time off of jobs because we didn't have them yet. We were right out of like literally right <laughs> fresh graduates. But, but yeah, it was definitely the first taste of, wow, this is amazing to just do whatever we want every day and see like such amazing stuff and, and meet new people. And like, I think we're still friends with our Arctic guide on Facebook and he like, he'll like some of our blog posts and it's cute that we're like still friends and everything. So, you know, it's, it's, it's those kinds of experiences that we were having that we're like, this is so worth it to us. Like that's what we wanted out of it. Like the reason we went on that trip was to learn more about our country and what it looks like, how people are. And we definitely got a taste of that during that trip. And then after that trip, you dove into full-time work and the adulting lifestyle that has to happen. But you were able to save $100,000 in two years on basically teacher-level salaries, right? Can you tell me a little bit about how you did that? The program that Stephen was in right after college, we moved to California for him to go to a physics program six to eight years of nonstop physics and Stephen was kind of burned out and he got an email for a program in Florida that was for STEM majors to go into education. So if you went and did this one and a half year master's program and got a job as a school teacher in the area, we, this was in central Florida, they would pay your tuition and you just kind of got your degree for free while working in the field because they were they wanted to encourage people to bring their expertise to the classroom. And so we applied to that program. We moved back to Florida and Stephen got a job as a teacher in central Florida. I think he was making like 
38,000 and I was making like about that, maybe 36-ish doing marketing for a, a local financial firm in the area. And those were like our first real jobs. After the after he got his degree, his master's degree, it bumped up to like 42,000. <laughs> so like making a lot of money. But that those two years, we really hustled to get to save as much as possible to we were side hustles all in with our photography, doing like other random stuff, buying electronics and like flipping them. And it was just really tough <laughs> to do all of that. You know, Stevens in school, we're both working full time, we're shooting other people's weddings, we're planning our own wedding, because we got engaged in California, we came back. And during those two years, we kind of planning our wedding, figuring out where we wanted to go, what we wanted to do, incurring all those costs. <laughs> um, and but because it was our first, we were both full time employed and our expenses were so low, we saw dramatic growth in our net worth tracking. So that was really encouraging. Every month we're like, look how much we were able to save. This is amazing. You know, still at that time, it was probably what, 2013. And then those two years, so like 2015, that time frame, like the market wasn't as on fire as it has been in the last few years, except for most recently. So we weren't really seeing growth of our investments in the market so much as seeing our savings grow. So even though it hadn't like multiplied yet, it was still exciting to see that number grow. And part of tracking our net worth was like, I told Stephen, I want to see, I want a chart that we like color in. And he's like, okay, well, we're not going to move around this paper chart of like us coloring it in. So I'll just make a chart in the Excel file that we're tracking. And like, we'll have a few different charts. I'll make a few different ones for you. And I was like, that's fine. Um, and so we see this, you know, this growth in a few different ways and it's exciting. And so those two years, we just worked really, really hard, saved a whole bunch, really grounded out. And it was, it was a tough two years. We felt, you know, exhausted, but accomplished. We got married in November of 2014. And, you know, Stephen was a school teacher. So we're like, we don't really want to take time away from the kids. Um, it's not like that important to us. We had been dating since high school. So like, we can wait for like a decent honeymoon, but like, what is that going to look like? And so that's kind of when we decided to do something kind of crazy for our honeymoon. But yeah, we saved over a hundred thousand dollars in that time frame, And that includes some market gains, but just not like the crazy market gains that we've been seeing. And also moving from California back to Florida probably had a hand in that as well in terms of being able to save money on your cost of living, because not only housing is, I'm sure, very different between California and Florida, but usually in lower cost of living areas, your groceries are cheaper and rent is lower, the utilities are cheaper. But I read a blog post on your site about this particular topic, and you made such a good point in this post that you get taxed on additional income that you make, but you never get taxed on additional savings that you have. So if you're able to cut your cost of living, you get that basically for free and you don't have to worry about having to take any portion of that away to cover your taxes, which I thought was just a really fantastic kind of cherry on top of what you guys were doing. Moving to, you know, Orlando, Florida, we were like in the greater Orlando area. It was still, you know, pretty pricey. I think our apartment was like $900 a month or something like that for our one bedroom. And then in California, we had subsidized housing because we lived on campus, but it was still 12-ish hundred dollars a month. So that was definitely a change. We didn't save us a lot of money monthly. You know, in terms of groceries, we always have been Walmart shoppers, Costco bulk buyers, that sort of thing. And so 
gas was a big one because gas is taxed more heavily in California. So it was a lot cheaper for commuting, which I had to do for my job. Stephen rode his bicycle. When we started our trip to go to Alaska and back right after college, we actually sold my car. And so we just had the one car, the Honda Civic, throughout this whole time frame. So only having one car, which we owned outright, it was a used Honda. You know, that also saved us a ton to not have a car payment and to only have one car between us. Because Stephen could commute on his bike to work and you didn't need a car, as I understand it, like a second car for a long time after that. We still don't have a second car. Like literally our van, our van is our only vehicle because it's like, it's pretty, it's pretty economical. Like the gas mileage, I think is like, I want to say it's like 25 miles to the gallon, which like for a van is really, really good. So, I mean, it's small. So like, that's why, but we just didn't need another car because I drove the car. Stephen was able to commute by bike. We purposefully moved close to the campus that Stephen was going to for his master's degree in Orlando. And when he was looking for his teaching job, he looked in the radius around our house. And so he was actually able to commute by bike to both campus and his job. And then I drove the car to my workplace, which was a little bit further. But yeah, when, and when we lived in, in California, we lived on campus. So he was definitely able to ride his bike. And actually my workplace was close enough. I rode my bike um, in California. So we like hardly ever used the car unless we were taking a like trip up the coast or something. But yeah, we've been one car for since right after college and it's worked really well for us. We'll talk about where the van came from in a minute, but I actually want to first talk about the honeymoon that you guys decided to go on. This was a pretty big trip. Very exciting to hear someone doing a six-month honeymoon because as I was learning about you and getting to know you, I was seeing a lot of parallels between what you guys have done and what me and my partner want to do. Something else that we want to do is once we get married, we want to go on a one-year-long honeymoon. And you guys actually took a six-month-long honeymoon and you moved to Hawaii. But the most interesting part about this story for me is that you actually ended up net zero, not spending any of your savings on this trip. A lot of people spend thousands and thousands of dollars on their honeymoons, and their honeymoons are usually only like a week or two long. But you lived in Hawaii for six months, and you essentially broke even. So can you tell me about even just the decision to go on that trip? What gave you the courage to quit your jobs and and make that big change, and how you were able to make that a net zero trip that you took? This was right after we had saved, you know, we we t touched on a little earlier that we'd saved over $100,000 in that two-year time frame, working full-time, having one car, living in like a one-bedroom apartment, not inflating our lifestyle. And so, you know, we kind of had this cash buffer where we felt comfortable enough to kind of make a change. And like you said, we were looking at what other people spend on honeymoons. And we were like, we just worked so hard to save the six figures. Like, I definitely don't want to spend a few of them on like a week. That seems really bad, not a good trade. We were like, what can we do instead? We'd actually never been to Hawaii. It just seemed really cool. And at this point we kind of, we had had two like blind moves, like our move to California while the housing was provided. We'd never like seen the place. We like showed up and talked to the housing people and they were like, this is where you're going to live now. And then, and I found a job and like all of that. And then when we moved back to Florida and to Orlando, same kind of thing. We moved into an area we had never visited. <laughs> I found a job within, you know, a couple of weeks. And so 
we kind of had, whether it was an accurate representation or not, we had this feeling like, oh, you can just move and like, that's not a big deal. You know, just because it's across an ocean, this shouldn't be an issue, right? Like we could do that. And so we kind of had this confidence from our savings buffer, from our most recent experiences, finding a job and moving across the country twice, that we're like, we could probably do that. That's totally fine. And so, you know, one of the things though was, okay, plane tickets are definitely going to be expensive. How do we bring that cost down to where like every day the cost of experiencing Hawaii is more like a lifestyle spend? You know, we spend very little day to day. Could we like factor in this, all these costs that are going to take to get there and make it more like our lifestyle instead of a vacation lifestyle with like more of a spendy mindset where like, oh, you got to rent snorkel gear because you're only there a week and you didn't have enough space in your bag to pack it. Or, you know, instead, if it's your lifestyle and, you know, instead of renting a car, you get to buy one and sell it back at the end of your trip that you could actually come out net zero or maybe even ahead. And so that was kind of our thought process going into it is like, could we make this just a lifestyle change? And we actually didn't know we knew we wanted to go for like at least six months, but we didn't know what that would look like after the fact. Stephen being a, a public school teacher, there wasn't really a way for him to transition his job into any kind of like remote work or I, I think he did look into like virtual school, but it favors more tenured teachers. And so what he did instead was just he kept a few of his tutoring students and just did that virtually and then picked up a few more tutoring students when we moved there. And then I, before I left, negotiated with my bosses and said like, hey, we're going to do this thing. It's kind of extreme. We're going to move to Hawaii, but I will make every effort if you want to be available to you. It's a five hour time difference. I will be up at, you know, three in the morning to be available at eight in the morning. If that is something that you'd be interested in, these are the things I could take remote for you almost all of my job. <laughs> so if there's anything that you want to do, we could create like a menu of services that I could, you know, pull out these couple of things and continue to do them for you while I'm gone. And that will probably help you because them being a small business, it's hard to like have that kind of employee churn. And so I told them like well in advance and we were able to come to an agreement and I actually did do work for them over that time period. And then we also did photography while we were there. So we had an income. We didn't know it before we moved. How many hours a week were both of you working while you were living in Hawaii? probably like 10 hours a week. Like it wasn't a lot of work. It was just enough to kind of cover our bills. And that was our plan. You know, we didn't really want to spend any of our savings. That was like our big goal. Like don't spend the savings. So what could we do instead, you know, to offset that? And so that was kind of the reason for going about having these income streams set up and kind of finding more while we got, when we got there as well. And so when we got to Hawaii, we found an apartment I think with like tax and everything, it was closer to like a thousand dollars, but it was like nine fifty or nine eighty or something like that a month. But we were like right across from the beach, so well worth it compared to our nine hundred dollars a month in Central Florida with no beach. And so you know a lot of those costs kind of just poured it over. We had sold our Honda Civic before we left, and we bought a little Mazda Miata that was like. 10 years old for like $4,500, I think. And then we ended up selling it for $5,600 before we left. So we actually made a profit from that um, of $1,000. That was our profit for the whole trip because the market was pretty flat. So like while our savings, we went untouched on the trip, they were able to stay invested, but there wasn't as much growth during that particular time period. Like the market just wasn't really performing in that time period for us. But we were able to cash flow the trip because we were working minimally during it. And so every day we just got to wake up and say like, what do you want to do today? Like, 
what's out there. And so we actually made a list of all the things that we heard about that was really cool on the island. We lived on the big island, Hawaii, this list on our fridge of like all the stuff that we wanted to see. And so every day we'd wake up and be like, what's on the list? Like, what can we go see today? And sometimes that meant going out in the middle of the night and just taking amazing star pictures because on that island in particular, there's like observatories because the skies are so clear there. And so like really great stargazing. And just every day was kind of a self-directed day, kind of going back to that. We woke up every day feeling like, this is awesome. Like we do a little bit of work. We feel productive. We make a little bit of money to, to pay our, our costs of living here, but we weren't saving any money. So like toward the end of the six months, we definitely felt this is a great and we could continue to keep doing this, but we wouldn't get any further ahead on our goals as much as we want to stay because it's awesome. Like we should probably get back to work and we felt rejuvenated to do that too. So we were like, this is awesome. We got a taste of what being retired early could even look like, right? Like if we wanted to do this, this is what we've been working for. This is what we've been training for. Like this is, this is it, right? We've been working so hard for financial independence this is an example of what that could look like for us. And it was awesome. Our work ethic was renewed. We felt like, yes, let's like, let's go crush it again. And so at the end of those six months, we were like, where should we go? And I was like, you know, Gainesville, our alma mater, where our alma mater is, University of Florida, we're like, our best friend still lives there. It's really cheap. And we really liked it. Do you want to move back to Gainesville? And so we came back to Florida at the end of those six months. And we went and looked at homes, condos, all kinds of stuff. And we ended up finding a place and settling down in Gainesville, getting jobs, going back to work, working harder and kind of got right back to the grind. But Hawaii was definitely something that primed us for what we could retire to. I know a lot of people like to say that phrase in our community. And I feel like we definitely got a taste of why we're doing what we're doing and that it is worth all this effort. And the idea that you would retire to something, which would be a lifestyle like that, not from something, which is, say, a, a job that you dislike or existence of 40 plus hours at work and living your life and traveling outside of those constraints. What it sounds like you guys did is actually what I would consider a mini retirement. So that six months, um, while you were working a little bit, you were doing a trial run of your ideal lifestyle and seeing if that would work for you in a long term manner. And I think that's really smart because sometimes people have these really grandiose dreams of what their life is going to be like afterwards. But sometimes it might be I'm going to be laying on the beach in Hawaii, sipping my ties with no work at all. And if they were to try that for six months, they would say this is not sustainable. I'm bored out of my mind. I want to be doing some work. I wish there was a component of, of work or contribution of some kind, whether it's paid or not in my life besides just the relaxing that we, when we get burnt out, I think as a species, we just say, you know what I'd really love to do? The complete opposite of what I'm doing right now. So from work, all work to no work. And you guys were able to test out that balance of integration of work and life. And I think another thing that we got to experience was kind of working on personal goals. You know, we're both photographers. And so we had the time to really invest in that side of ourselves. So we kind of grew our business doing portraits and, and event photography, but also on our own time going out and spending time taking astrophotography shots, getting better at that, really pushing ourselves to improve upon some of our hobbies. And I got more like into fitness because I had the time for it. There's, there's a lot that you also get to discover about yourself when figuring out that work-life balance and having the headspace of not working the majority of your hours and instead having the majority of your hours that you can 
play with for your own benefit. Did you find any challenges in transitioning back from that lifestyle and work balance to going back into full-time work? So when we came back, Stephen started kind of ramping up his tutoring. So instead of tutoring a couple of people, he decided to kind of go at it as a, from a business perspective and kind of growing like a Rolodex of clients that he could actually fill 40 hours a week with. Being in a college town, that was actually doable. And so he actually, for him, because he was ramping up, I think it was a slower progression. And for me, I actually took a little bit longer this time to shop around for a new job. You know, usually we were in a position where I'm like, gotta get a job, just gotta do it because we just moved and like, we need an income right now. And um, so I kind of have approached jobs more from like a need perspective, but this time around, you know, I was like, you know what, they weren't always perfect fits. So like, why don't I try and find like a job I'm going to like, and a little bit more, not that I dislike the job, but just like finding the perfect fit, culture, work-life balance, pay, like all of that. Can I check all the boxes if I just like try a little harder and don't accept the first job offer? And so that's what I did. And I Probably we moved back to Gainesville in January. I think we closed on our, we, we bought our house at the end of January. And then by like the beginning of March, I had a job. So like this was a lot longer for me than usual because usually I find a job like within a couple of weeks. And so this time I spent a little bit longer job hunting and it was actually really decent pay. Like I went in and told them I want to make this much. And so that's that because like a lot of job listings these days like won't even list a salary range or anything so I'm like gotta make at least this much like this is what's going on for me and so you know I kind of went in a little strong but they agreed to it and I was like well all right like I guess I'll try this out (laughs) and you know it, it was a pretty decent like culture fit and everything and so you know, for me, I think the transition, the, the company I started working for was more like startup culture So they catered lunch and then part of your lunch break included playing office games that are kind of team building, but also keep you energized after eating a meal. And so I think because there was like an element of fun built into this particular job, I didn't feel as hampered maybe as maybe you would like going back to work full time. It definitely got stressful. By six months in, I was putting in more work, feeling stressed out because like when it's a smaller company too. And so like anytime you're in a small business scenario, you end up wearing multiple hats. You end up like working longer hours just because it's needed. Definitely by end of year one, I was very busy. I had a promotion, like working, you know, salaried, like full-time, like it was definitely a different experience. And I wouldn't say that it was an immediate shift. We felt pretty good going back to work after having been on vacation or like on a break in Hawaii. But I would say probably within a few years, we were starting to feel burned out again. Stephen actually, by the end of the year, was picked off kind of like a local tutoring company had heard of him. They were like, you know, students are saying that you're like really awesome. So we want to hire you. And he was like, all right, what can you offer me? And so he went to work for them. It was a really good experience. And so, you know, now he's working full-time for a boss and it was a much different environment for him too, because he came from his last full-time job was being a teacher where you're kind of, you you have a little more anonymity. You can do as you please in your own classroom. And there's maybe one monthly meeting that you have to attend where now he was in a true office environment, having meetings regularly every week. And he was like, I can't believe these meetings are every week. And I'm like, yeah, that's what happens. That's office life. So we got very much, I think we checked all the boxes of all the office inspired memes and things that people joke about. Like we experienced all of it. And by the 
spent a few years just like grinding it out again, nose to the ground. Like we also still continue to do our photography, but we were working these full time, you know, it wasn't really 40 hours a week. It was definitely more than that for both of us because we were in these salaried positions, because we were working for small businesses. You just work a little harder. It seems like, you know, not being like a cog, but being like relied upon, you end up, you know, working harder, I feel like. And so we're both kind of getting stressed out again, but we had made such huge headway in our savings, like doing our net worth tracking every month. We were like, holy cow. Also in this time frame, the market is like on fire. And so we're seeing these huge growth by leaps and bounds. Every time we get a bonus check, we throw it in, you know, our investment accounts and we're like, holy cow, look at this month. You know, we had months where we were like, is that even reasonable? Like that, that's what we saved. And so definitely the next couple of months or the next couple of years were encouraging, but also exhausting. And so we are kind of feeling the same feeling, you know, we had experienced toward the end of that first chapter of our working lives where we, before we took our Hawaii honeymoon and we're like, you know, what really helped last time was taking a big vacation. So maybe we should do that again. And that was kind of what led to our next big adventure that we uh, did last year, which was visiting all the national parks. Great. I'd love to talk about that, but I just want to go back to what you were saying and, and just make a point that I am hearing that you not only had a forcing function to do some job hopping, which increased your incomes, right? Leaving for six months uh, to take the time off in Hawaii and either work on a kind of 10-hour-a-week part-time basis or for your husband working on his own business required you when you came back to do a new job search. But it also gave you an opportunity to negotiate your salaries and being in the financial position that you were in gave you a really great position to negotiate from. So you weren't just saying, oh, I'll take whatever I can get. I'm in a very financially stressful situation where I feel like I need to get a job in the next two or three weeks so that I can pay my rent this month. You were saying, look at this nest egg that we've saved. We've also created diversified sources of income through your side businesses in photography and tutoring. And so you didn't have the stress where you had to grab the first job that came up that might not have been a good fit. You were able to search for the job that ticked all those boxes and you were able to tell them this is a salary that I'm looking for like let's see what we can work with which a lot of people who are in a less stable financial situation don't have the confidence to do with the concern that they might not get the job offer if they ask for what they want or if they negotiate for their salary so you guys came from a really great break that gave you several advantages coming back into the workforce. And I think a lot of people overlook that. They think that a six-month career break would be like devastating for their resume and that they would not be able to ever get back into a position in their field, at least at the same pay grade, much less negotiating a higher salary. Whereas you guys actually leveraged that to increase your salaries and to most likely increase your job satisfaction by selecting a job that was really well suited to your needs. Definitely. And I also want to add to that, you know, because we were younger, when you are like completely green, the rate at which you learn new skills is exponential, kind of like a baby, you know, you're learning all these things and they just compound so quickly and staying at a job too long, especially early in your career, I feel like can sometimes be detrimental in terms of your pay because especially like for me, small business and even like larger businesses that don't have the ability to like make those huge pay raises, 
they can't reward you for how far you've come. You know, I worked at my job for two years and my raises back in Orlando, I'll, I'll, just to be clear, I think my, my raises went along more with like inflation than they were, you know, really matching and rewarding my skill growth. And so doing a forced job hop really lets you be able to reposition the skills that you've learned along the way and the the new applications that you can, you know, provide for someone. So like going into this job hunt, when we came back from Hawaii, I was able to leverage, you know, all the skills that I gained in my previous job, which also had a title of manager in it, being able to say like, oh, you know, and in regards to the resume gap during that time, you know, I did freelance consulting and this is what I was able to accomplish. And the fact that we were working during that time frame, I think helped with the so-called resume gap. It shows that like, you did something. But I think even if you aren't actually working and like doing it the way, same way we did, the fact that you can point to something of growth, uh, even if it's personal growth. You know, if I hadn't been doing marketing stuff during that time period, I could still have pointed to the fact that, you know, we grew a photography business. It was really important to to me to grow as, as an artist. And so I think showing that, you know, you work on yourself and that you're constantly improving is a selling point for a future employer. So I, I think it was big for us to be able to sell it and to ask for what we were worth and doing a forced job hop really does make you kind of come in a little hot and be like, this is what I'm worth now. You know, I made, I put the effort in, I learned the skills. I'm more valuable now than I was two years ago. And you should pay me for that. I think that that's an important part of the job hopping experience. Yeah. And that's a rap that we get as millennials for being job hoppers that is seen as quite negative, I think, from older generations. But if you kind of dive into it, it can be very beneficial for not only your career path, if you are looking to accelerate your title or your station in a career, but also for your salary and your income. Because like you said, skilling up within the same company is not going to get you the market rate for those skills. If you leave and then you write all those bullet points down on your resume and offer it to someone else and say, look at all these things that I can do, it is almost guaranteed that they are going to see a higher value in those skills beyond the company that's currently just retaining you to, to do those things for them. So I, I think that you guys were very strategic about that. And I think it's a really promising story to share because a lot of people have a large amount of fear around leaving the security of a full-time job and doing something that's a little bit different. But it also doesn't have to be a permanent change. You took six months. You didn't stop working completely. So that it doesn't have to be, again, the on switch and off switch. It can be a spectrum of, of options there. And then you came back and you did full-time work again for another couple of years. After that, you said you went on your next big adventure, which I'd love to talk about next, when you started thinking about, hmm, this full-time thing, maybe we want to take another break, what was the catalyst for that decision? Um, did you have any particular feelings that made you really ready to get back on the road? I think it was just, you know, the accumulation of working full-time. You know, we were really putting ourselves into our jobs and, you know, it just felt like we weren't living as much for ourselves, you know, and I think what we had talked about was just kind of like, I was probably more stressed and ready for a change of pace than Steven was because he was kind of still enjoying the work that he was doing, whereas I was getting much more burnt out. The kind of work that I was doing was just, I think when you work in like a digital era type 
job. There is no off switch. And so it kind of just accumulates. And like, no matter how much work you do, there's still way more work to be done. And uh, it weighs on you. And so, you know, I was kind of in that position, being in marketing and being in digital marketing and, you know, working on websites and stuff, there's just always something else that could be done. And I just, I wasn't enjoying that feeling. I liked the work that I did. It was just a lot. (laughs) And so we were like, Hawaii really worked out, you know, maybe we could take another like type of sabbatical. And, you know, because we own our condo, you know, we would be coming back to Gainesville. It's not like we would be moving to a particular place, you know, what we kind of were hoping to do is let's this time around, instead of just like straight up going somewhere else, what if we did a trip where we would be coming back? And so what could that look like? What could that be? I don't even really remember whose idea it was because this was just over the course of conversation after conversation of like, what are we doing? And like, everything is stressful and like, what could we do differently? Somehow we kind of started talking about, road trips, because we do like road trips throughout this time, like anytime we had a week off, my company was pretty generous with vacation time. And so, you know, we would get a week off for Thanksgiving, a week off for 4th of July, that kind of stuff. And so, you know, we were doing trips still, we were going like, let's take a week and go and see New England, let's take a week and go check off all the middle states, because we'd never been there. Um, And so we I think we had by this point, we had seen all but three states by the time we were taking this trip. And we were like, you know, one of the things that we really love when we travel is seeing these national parks. You know, we've been to the Grand Canyon on our first road trip out of college. We went to Denali during that time frame too, in the Everglades. In Hawaii, we were going to Hawaii volcanoes like all the time because it was like just a short drive and they were all amazing. Uh, We just loved those experiences. They were all well worth traveling to. And so we were like, okay, so how many national parks are there? Is it like a goal we could complete? And at the time that we were planning, there were 59 and we were like, okay, so 59 parks and they're this far apart. And, you know, could we do it as a road trip? Because, you know, they're mostly in the U.S., the continental U.S. anyway. And so, you know, what could that look like? We did a lot of research about where they were, how far away they were. And so I don't really know whose idea it was per se, but we were like, let's go to all the national parks. (laughs) And so after we kind of decided on that goal, the next step was like, okay, again, we're not just going to go spend however much it costs to see all these national parks. We got to do this our way. And our way is the no cost way. It will just be our time that we would be spending and not actually our savings. So how do we do that again? You know, my job being completely like digital, like let's again, approach our bosses, talk to them about what we could do. Steven's job has a significant portion that was also digital. And so, you know, let's go talk to our bosses. But I think we probably gave them about six months of notice before we we're going to do the trip, but we kind of approach it the same way. It was, we're doing it. Like once we decided that we wanted to do it, we, it was going to get done. And so, you know, we started mapping things out. We were looking at like the weather at certain places. We're from Florida, so we didn't really plan perfectly for winter, but that's another story. And so we decided, you know, how do we do this economically? And the Civic worked out really well. There are a lot of places to sleep in the Civic, you know, apart from the fact that it was a Civic and we had to lower the seats to recline back and sleep in the car and that it wasn't like great sleep. It was sleep, but not great sleep. How could we get great sleep while on the road? Cause that will make all the difference. Right. And so we were like, you know, this whole van life thing 
is really popular. People living in small vans. We had a, some friends who had done like a van build out and we're like, well, that's probably not for us because we're not very handy. But like, is there some kind of in between where we get to have the benefit of a bed while driving at the same time. And so when we started looking at these compact commercial vans, came across the Nissan NV200. It's getting more popular now. Like every time I see one on the road, I'm like, oh, there's another one. But there are these super comp, I mean, they literally can like turn on a dime and fit into a compact car- parking space. But the cargo area in the back is was just big enough. We went to the dealership just to like see it and test drive one. And Steven laid down in the back and I was like, can you fit? And so like head to toe, Steven like just fit in the back and we're like, okay, great. So you can fit. The next step is to find one, like not the dealership, but used, you know? And so it drove really well. It handled really well. We both felt really comfortable driving it because it wasn't like a huge RV. It wasn't this big rig. It didn't have, you know, massive blind spots. It had windows in the back so you could actually see and a backup camera. Like these are all like standard amenities on like this particular van. And so we're like, let's see if we can find one used. And so we found one. It was the most expensive vehicle we ever purchased. It was like $12,000. Bought it from a guy who like barely used it. And we built like literally just a platform that had space underneath for storage, put a full-size bed on top. And that was the van build out. It was like a platform for storage and a bed. And that was it. (laughs) And it was super sustainable. I mean, we weren't really sure what to expect when starting that process. We were like, hopefully we can sleep here every night. But if we don't, like we need to have in mind the fact that we'd need to buy hotels otherwise. And so we kind of did a worst case scenario cost analysis and said, okay, well, if it ends up costing that much out of pocket, like if we don't get to keep our jobs or get some kind of income along the way and we end up having to buy a hotel every night and we end up with all these like ancillary costs, could we like swallow that number? And like the answer was yes. And that it would probably be worth it. It was still like, it was a lot, but it was like, it seemed worth it to us. So the next step was like, definitely how do we not have to spend that much? So the van definitely helped we were able to sleep in the van the majority of the trip. Steven talked to his boss, like I said, about six months out. His boss agreed to like 10 hours of work a week where he'd be able to do some of his duties from the road. And then I talked to my bosses. It was a different conversation than I was used to having. Again, like coming from a position of like, I don't need this. This is kind of a courtesy to you to let you know what I'm planning to do. I would like to keep working for you. I'd like to come back and continue working for you. You know, is there a way we can work something out? Really cordial, really friendly. I like working here, you know, that kind of thing. But the conversation just kind of resulted in an offer that was a lot lower than my current rate of pay because I'd be out of the office. And I was like, doesn't seem like a good deal, not a good trade this time. So I actually walked away from that position in at the end of 2018 before we took our trip last year. And part of Steven's like negotiation with his boss was to be back in time for the fall semester in August. And so we had January through August to do this trip. And so we set off like I think the second week of January, because the first week of January was still like holiday stuff and kind of busy with family. And so we moved all of our stuff out of our condo. We ended up renting it. Um, It was our first landlording experience. I think I mentioned that before we got a tenant and, you know, that also provided a little bit of income on the road. And then we like just took off and started driving. I had planned a few things in advance, but 
we came to find out that like weather would be a huge interruption along the way. We didn't know about like snowstorms. And like at one point our doors to our van like froze shut. <laughs> and we were like, oh, I guess we're not getting in the van. That night was way too cold to sleep. And we were actually staying at a hotel that night, that particular evening. And so we were going out to the van to like get more of our, like, I think we left toothpaste or something. So we went to the van to get toothpaste and we're like, oh, we can't, we can't get in the van. Good thing we have a hotel tonight. And so we borrowed some from the front desk, but like, it was definitely an experience. I would go to the back to like get our jug of water and it'd be frozen. And I would be like, oh, I guess I'll wait for this to thaw. Um, but yeah, it was definitely, that was a new experience for us was like, experiencing snow I went snowshoeing for the first time in one of the parks and like some of the parks are closed because of the snow they don't plow the roads until like they can be guaranteed that they don't have to replow the roads and so there's a lot of like planning and, and replanning and rerouting and also during that first like month the government was shut down last year so a lot of like all the visitor centers were closed so there's a lot of changes to our route that made us decide to just kind of keep it fluid and only maybe have a couple of parks planned in advance while we were on the road. But definitely, you know, making time for Stephen to stop and do his 10 hours a week. What ended up happening for us was kind of shifting the work week from, you know, five days of work and two days of time off to a complete switch of now we're off five days doing whatever we want, visiting the parks, driving, you know, sleeping, you know, doing all this fun stuff that we like had the time for now. And then two days, one or two days of working. So we would stop into like a coffee shop and spend, you know, the whole day basically doing work. That's also when our blog was born. I ended up picking up a few different marketing gigs throughout that time frame as well. So I started actually earning some income. And so over the course of the trip, we actually were able to almost exactly without really planning it, cover the cost of that trip with all of our like streams of income, Steven's job, my marketing gigs, photography, and our rental income. So we did it. We did the whole like cash flowing a vacation, a several month vacation. But what we discovered was that this lifestyle is a lot more sustainable for us now because we have so much more money saved and invested. Our returns while we were on this trip were significant. And we actually came back much richer than when we left, which was not what happened in Hawaii. But this trip kind of showed us like, wait a second, why would we go back to work full time if we could just do this? And this could just be our life. And we could just have five days of fun. Like, why aren't we having five days of fun? And so I actually never went back to work. I just continued doing my marketing gigs. Steven as I mentioned, kind of had this agreement with his boss to come back full-time. But as of this year, 2020, Stephen has started just as a part-time employee. His hours are kind of weird because it goes with like exam schedules and things like that. So some weeks are busier than others. But again, down to like a very manageable amount of work week to week and back to kind of just doing fun stuff. And that includes for us like working on personal development stuff, photography, you know, reading more books, you know, visiting family is huge too, because all of our family lives like two and a half hours away, you know, spending time with our friends. Um, they have like two small kids. And so getting to see them more, it's just kind of changed our lifestyle. Like the last trip we took, this national parks trip completely like showed us this new side of, of what we'd been doing, which was, you don't have to like, go back to full-time work anymore. We were at a point where we could 
continue this sustainably forever now. And so that's kind of where we're at today, enjoying the day to day. You know, we have enough that now what we make, we are still able to save money and we're still putting some of it away, but it covers all of our expenses and we're just, I guess, coasting, but it's, it's been, it's been really nice. Like I said, I've been without a full-time job now for like a little over a year. And that's been also kind of different. There's been adjustments that I've had to like learn about myself along the way, like not sleeping in too long because like I'm just a morning, I'm more productive in the morning. So like I need to wake up. It's, it's interesting. It's a new challenge to like be productive and do like things that make you happy and to make time for that still. Like you think, oh, when you have plenty of free time, you have time for everything, but you still have to plan those things. Like if you don't plan to go to the gym, you don't go to the gym, even if you have time for it. So like it's those kinds of things that you learn about when you're in this like coasting lifestyle that you don't know about going into, but that I've learned now along the way. <laughs> yeah. So you are retired from full-time work now, right? And you're working on a part-time schedule. Do you think you're ever going to go back to the the full-time working lifestyle? Or you said you see this as very sustainable and it sounds like having much more freedom in your lifestyle for the things that you love to do and travel is more aligned with your your goals and your priorities for yourself. So tell me what you see the future looking like. So definitely like looking at the numbers and looking at where we're at today it doesn't seem like we would have to go back to work. Obviously, if there was some kind of like crazy situation where like everything turned into anarchy and like our world was on fire more than it is now, like I think there's there's definitely like a universe in which I would go back to work. But if everything kind of stays the course and like historically performs the way that it has, I don't anticipate me and Stephen having to go back to work full time. I think that there'll be times where maybe we work a little bit harder if we are, you know, for example, like there is a season for wedding photography. So like I could see there being times where we have, you know, more bookings or something that make us feel busier. But like if you were to spread that out over the year, it wouldn't be like that much more. So I definitely think that there might be like ebbs and flows, but I definitely don't see us having to go back to work full time if everything kind of stays the course. How old were you guys when you went on that Hawaii vacation and then this past National Parks vacation when you started transitioning into your retirement from full-time work? When we bought our house, I was 26 and Stephen was 25. So our Hawaii vacation was right before that. So I was mostly 25 during our Hawaii honeymoon and Stephen turned 25 like right at the beginning of our Hawaii honeymoon so we were 25 during Hawaii and then this most recent trip I turned 29 in October before I quit my job in December of 2018 so my last year my 20s was spent mostly on the road going to all the national parks and Stephen will be joining me at 30 later this year in July so we both got to retire from full-time work by the age of 29, which is really exciting since we did take these breaks that you would think would set you back on your goals. And like a lot of people, especially in our community, like try to retire by 30 or like early 30s. And like we feel comfortable in our decisions, even though we still you know, took these breaks. Like if we didn't take these breaks, we would 100% have like hit our complete fire number right now because we plan on doing some work to just feel good. It feels good to check things off the list and stay like up on like trends, especially in like marketing. So, you know, it's, 
it's beneficial for us to like continue doing some work on several different levels. And so, yeah, retiring before like 29 while taking these breaks has been like really, really a great experience and kind of proves that like it can be done. Keeping your expenses really low was huge for us along the way. That lifestyle inflation like was not a thing for us. And I think that really changed our timeline. I think if we had grown into you know, with our middle-class salaries that we had, like solid middle-class salaries at our last jobs, it would have been really easy to like expand our lifestyle. And we just didn't. And I think that made a world of difference in accelerating our savings rate and allowing us to feel comfortable taking the trips that we've taken, especially like this last one that cost a lot more than our Hawaii honeymoon. But it, it definitely today feels totally sustainable. And it's like weird to kind of be in this position at like 30 to like not have like a full-time job but I I'm glad that I get to spend my time doing the things that I'm passionate about and hopefully encouraging others because for us it was so huge to get started early and that's kind of like what we hope to do with our blog is like reaching people as early as possible because I think that's what made our timeline possible. Yes, I think that's really great advice to start early. And I also think that what you guys modeled is basically incorporating lifestyle design with financial independence. Sometimes those two things are seen as mutually exclusive and almost sequential where you kind of hate your life while you're pursuing financial independence and you work really, really, really hard and you don't take any breaks and you don't even really think about too much what would make you happy and what would be sustainable and what an ideal lifestyle would look like. And then after that, you reach your financial independence number and you can retire forever and you never have to do another day of work. Although many people who retire early find that they go back to work within a year or two because they weren't satisfied with being fully retired when they still had like 50 years left, you know, in their in their life to do things. And on the other hand, that's kind of the the traditional view of FIRE, and you guys turned that on its head and decided that you were going to be very strong in the fundamentals, which was saving a lot of money, spending less than you earned, avoiding lifestyle inflation, but also testing things out and taking those mini retirements and seeing what would work for you, negotiating remote work with your employers, negotiating your salaries to get increased incomes when you did come back, and taking those pieces of lifestyle that you liked from those trips and incorporating them into what's like a sustainable way of life going forward for you so that you don't have to look forward to the moment you can stop doing what you're doing and do something else. You're just living a lifestyle that you've designed to fit with your your wants and your needs. Right. And I think one of the things it kind of um, branching off of what you said that we've noticed and that has made all the difference for us is every dollar that we save and invest brings us closer to financial independence, but also should make you feel freer. I feel like people, especially trying to achieve financial independence, set these like rigorous goals and it leads to burnout feeling as well on that race, almost to the bottom when it comes to doing all the things that they can do to like eke out as much value. And it leads to, you know, not only feeling burned out at work because you're working so hard, but also all the things that you do at home to increase that savings rate where, you know, it doesn't have to be a race to the bottom. Every dollar saved feels 
better. Like we had the confidence to take these trips, to do these negotiations because we had this buffer of savings and without having to spend it down. Like that's huge. You can do these things without impacting your long-term goals. And especially if you're able to cash flow it, like we have, the only thing that you're actually spending is your time, you know, and in for us, that was like a huge insight. Like we realized this and we're like, wow, we can do what we want, even though we're not at the number. Like that's what was, has been like the biggest realization I would say is that as you get closer, you should start to feel freer. And I think that's kind of where it seems like there has been a shift in the community to start recognizing that, that change that takes place. But I wish that more people who are starting on the journey could recognize their successes along the way and that you don't have to be counting down. You know, I see people post all the time, like I have six months until I'm free. And I'm like, you're already like, why don't you realize that you're already free? Like right now you could walk away and it'll be fine. And if you're that miserable, you should make that change. Like that isn't a good thing for you as a person to be miserable every day and dreading waking up and going to work or whatever it is that you're doing. And so, you know, I think recognizing the freedom and rewarding the success along the way is, is a big part of what shifts your mindset from like getting to your fire number to that lifestyle design. Totally agreed. And I think that actually flows really nicely into our rapid fire style questions to wrap up the interview. So I'm just going to ask you a couple of questions and you can give a relatively short answer of whatever kind of first comes to your mind. All right. Okay. So first, what does freedom mean to you? Freedom means being able to wake up every day and do what feels right. I love that answer. <laughs> What would you do if you could retire right now? Well, because I kind of feel like I'm already pretty much retired, I guess I would say kind of doing what I'm doing, spending a little time working on things that I find value in, but also not feeling bad if I don't work, don't put in the time some days. The other day was my friend's birthday. I spent literally like, probably way too much time, but like several hours making a cake. But I really enjoyed the process because I like baking. So brand new recipe. I had to like go to the store and like zest lemons without a grater. So it was an experience, but it was really, really fun. And I really enjoyed it. <laughs> and what would you do if you could never retire? You know, I think that I'm kind of in a position where I am still doing work. So like I'm not retired and Steve and I talk about this a lot where, you know, we don't really anticipate not ever earning money because it seems to come pretty easily if you're doing something that's providing value that there is some money to be made in doing it. So if you like something and you can, and you're good at it and, you know, you don't have to monetize it, but if you want to, it's probably there if you, if you want to. So to me, I feel like, you know, we kind of talk about how we don't really plan on fully retiring ever. You know, I think it's kind of a matter of semantics, but in terms of like, if I could never quit my job, I'm sure like a full-time job, I'm sure it would be much more difficult. I, sometimes I look back and I think, how did I have time to like take a week and go on a road trip while working full-time? Um, but I did it. And so I think humans are really adaptable. So we would figure it out, but I think it wouldn't be as as freeing if we weren't able to adjust the amount of time we spent working. 
Yeah. But if you could never retire, but you had to work part time, do you think your life would look pretty similar to what you're doing now? Yeah, I think like what I'm doing now is pretty much that and it feels really sustainable. And if I wanted to, I, I feel confident I could kind of, it's kind of like a volume knob. Like I feel like I could turn it up if I needed to make more money or turn it down if I was getting overwhelmed, you know, and I think that the power to feel that way is encouraging and you can just like make decisions more confidently when you know that that's within your power. Yeah. And it sounds to me like you've really won at lifestyle design. If you're saying, if I could never retire, I'd keep doing what I'm doing. You know, you've, you've cracked the code, you figured it out for yourself. And it's always individual. Your answer is not going to be the right answer for everyone. But if you found what works for you, that is a great place to be. All right. Last question. If you could go back in time, what financial or lifestyle advice would you give yourself in your early 20s? This is tough. I I think, you know, one thing that I look back on and I wish I would have started early, earlier on is um, it's kind of weird to say because I didn't have a ton of money to be investing. But if I had just like learned about it sooner, you know, by the end of my college, um, like my last year in college, I was working full time in as a contractor, but I was working full time um, doing various like roles at, at um, the newspaper. And like I had income enough to be doing more with it. And so I feel like, you know, there was a delay in us learning about investing that I think I would have told in terms of financial stuff, I would have told myself, like, you're going to get to a point where you feel safe and comfortable with money and you can start to, you can do that like by investing. Like that's one way to like grow your money faster than you can be working. And so I think that was like, a good lesson for myself that if I had learned a little bit earlier, we would have been like that much more better off um, in a sense. But in terms of lifestyle, I think, I don't know, I feel like I'm pretty happy with the way that we've done things, maybe getting rid of two cars even earlier, like learning that biking is is doable, especially in like a small college town. Steve and I had two cars through college. So like, I probably would have told us to like get rid of one of the cars um, because that wasn't necessary. And we ended up doing that anyway. So probably doing it sooner would have been better. And then that money could have been invested. So (laughs) that's probably what I would say. Yeah. Do you think you would go back and say, don't worry about it, you know, pursue those six month breaks that you want to take because it's all going to work out? Did you did you have any like nervousness or, or fear that you would have gone back and say, don't worry about it? it all works out in the end. Um, I definitely have like, as a person, I'm more type A and probably more anxious than my husband is. And so, you know, he helps to kind of quell my fears in a sense, like when I'm feeling a little overwhelmed, but I think more with Hawaii than our last trip, because our last trip, we kind of had these proofs of concept that like this was going to work. And like, I wasn't at all anxious about taking our last trip other than like, were we going to see all of the parks? Cause they added like two more, three more while we were on the road. So like, were we going to see them all before we, um, before we came home? But, you know, earlier on, I guess with Hawaii, there were like a lot of unknowns. I mean, moving to a new state that you don't even know with no one that no friends or anything. And like having to find an apartment, having to find a vehicle, but like, we just, we kind of overcome challenges as they present to us. Like we didn't have a bank when we moved to Hawaii And there are no major banks in Hawaii. They're all like Hawaii specific banks. So like having money available for certain transactions when we first moved was like a challenge, but we solved it. And so I don't, you know, I didn't, it wasn't that stressful that I would have told myself like, 
prepare early for those things because they were smaller in the scheme of it all. Well, that's great. It sounds like you really, you have it figured out and you have found your freedom, which is what this podcast is all about, showing people the stories of people like you, Lauren, who have found their freedom. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Where can everyone go to find more about you? Yeah, so the blog that we started last year is called tripofalifestyle.com. It's got all of our stories on there, deep dives into our numbers, uh, what our house costs, what the trips have cost, all that good stuff is all on there. And we're also on Instagram and Facebook at Trip of a Lifestyle, on Twitter at TOA Lifestyle because of character limits. And uh, we have a YouTube channel, you can search for it. We just don't, we're, we have like a whole idea of, of videos we're going to eventually create. We just haven't set aside the time for them yet, but that's, they're coming. So like you could subscribe and get ready for it. Um, so uh, we're, we're on like all the major platforms so you can find us there, but definitely the website triplelifestyle.com is the best way to see all of our content. Great. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, Lauren. Thanks for having me. It was great speaking with you today. To check out the show notes for this episode, which includes links to resources mentioned in today's interview and where you can go to learn more about Lauren, go to 20free.co slash episode 44. I want this to be more than just a podcast for listening to, so I'm making it a do-cast where you're getting information from the podcast that you can take action on to create real outcomes in your life. I call these power moves. If you implement even one of these tactics into your life, you're taking a powerful step towards finding your freedom. What are some power moves we learned from this conversation? Here are six. Power move number one, track your net worth. Tracking your net worth is a great way to track your financial health while also motivating yourself to reach your money goals. You can track your net worth by adding up what you owe, such as debts and liabilities, and what you own, such as assets, investments, savings, and cash. Lauren tracked her net worth in a spreadsheet and checked in with it monthly to see her progress towards her goals. For her, this meant she didn't have to budget because she could see that she was meeting her savings goals. Additionally, she was highly motivated to be intentional with her spending because she was so excited to see her net worth grow. Check out episode 41 for more information on net worth and tips on how to track it. Power move number two, start a side hustle. A great way to earn extra money is starting a side hustle. Think of what you're good at or enjoy doing on the side and see if you can offer that to people you know or sell it online to make some extra cash. For example, Lauren and Steven did wedding photography because they both enjoy photography and wanted to earn extra income on the side of their full-time jobs. Steven also tutored as a side hustle when he was teaching. What's great about side hustles is that you can scale them up to full-time work, and some side hustles can even be done online so that you can earn money while you travel. Power move number three, avoid lifestyle inflation. Lifestyle inflation is increasing your expenses to match your income. If you were succumbing to lifestyle inflation, you might buy a new car with your Christmas bonus or increase your restaurant spending after you get a raise. This becomes a treadmill of earning more and spending more without actually bringing you closer to your financial goals. However, if you avoid lifestyle inflation, you can keep your quality of life similar and accelerate your path towards your financial goals. 
Lauren and Stephen kept their expenses similar to when they were living in college all throughout their 20s, and when they increased their incomes, instead of spending the extra money, they invested it. By doing this, they were both able to retire from full-time work before 30. Power move number four, lower your cost of living. Cost of living includes things like how much housing costs to gas prices and the prices of food in the grocery store. This will vary based on how you decide to live and often where you decide to live. I share ideas for lowering your top three expenses, housing, transportation, and food, in episode 37. An easy way to lower your cost of living is to move to a lower cost of living area. There are some places where you can have access to similar amenities, houses, and activities that have significantly lower housing and transportation costs. For example, by moving from expensive Orange County, California, to a lower cost-of-living area in Florida, Lauren was able to increase her savings rate. While some higher cost-of-living areas offer higher salaries to match, keep in mind that you pay taxes on additional income, but you're not taxed on additional savings. So if you can cut your cost-of-living, even if your pay takes a small cut, you can come out ahead. Power move number five. Take a career break. Take some time away from your career to travel or explore your passions and hobbies. This could be a month or a year. You get to decide what your career break looks like. It's not impossible to take a long career break and come back to an even better job and higher salary as Lauren did. In fact, taking a mini retirement like a six-month trip to Hawaii or a seven-month road trip to all of the national parks causes forced job hopping. Job hopping is one of the best ways to increase your income in a short period of time. By changing jobs, you're able to reposition the skills that you've learned along the way and add value to a new company who could pay you more. Additionally, when you come back from your break, you will be more refreshed and motivated to do great work. So plan your career break today. Power move number six, test out your ideal lifestyle. Most people wait 40 years until they retire to test out the lifestyle that they've been dreaming of. But you don't have to wait until you're retired. Why not take a career break to test out your ideal lifestyle now? By taking a test run through a long vacation, mini-retirement, or transition to part-time work, you can figure out if your ideal life will actually work for you and your goals. As Lauren mentions, it's important to focus on your lifestyle being sustainable in the long term. You won't know for sure until you try, which is why it makes sense to test out your ideal lifestyle before committing to it, or instead of waiting until retirement to figure it out. That is the sixth and final power move from my conversation with Lauren Keyes from Trip of a Lifestyle. Do you want to finally feel good about your finances and have a stress-free plan to create a life you love? It's time for you to reach your biggest money goals, like paying off debt, building up savings, and using your money to create your ideal life. As a money coach, I will help you gain clarity about what freedom looks like for you, develop a strategy to get there, and overcome your money roadblocks on the path to financial and lifestyle freedom. Let's hop on the phone. During our free 15-minute coaching call, we're going to develop a vision for your ideal life and how your finances fit in. Not only are you going to get massive clarity, you're also going to get a free spending plan spreadsheet just for booking the call. Visit 20free.co slash moneycoaching to get your free money coaching call and budget spreadsheet right now. That's the word 20, F-R-E-E dot C-O slash moneycoaching.
If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you're subscribed to the Find Your Freedom podcast on whatever app you're using to listen to this episode. Do me a favor and also leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Go to 20free.co slash iTunes to be redirected to the page on Apple Podcasts where you can leave your rating and review. I really appreciate it. If you think this episode would help someone you know, please share it with a friend. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Find Your Freedom podcast. My name is Becky. You can connect with me on Instagram and Twitter at 20freeco and sign up for free resources and email updates at www.20free.co. That's the word 20, F-R-E-E dot C-O. I'll talk to you next week on another episode of the Find Your Freedom podcast.